Let's talk about Mile High Shooting. If you go to milehighshooting.com and order online right now, anything you get is 5% off. Just sign up, click the button, and you're done. Go to the website, and you're going to see right off the bat Zeiss LRP S5. I've been playing with my S5, and I like it. And I also like the S3. They are kicking ass. We're going to be talking about those guys soon. But other things they carry... Well, they only carry good stuff. So they've got AI rifles, AI mags, AI barrels, AI accessories, spur mounts, spur rings. They've got really right stuff, Lapua, Night Force. You can get an ATX outfitted the way that you want it to. And then they've got boatloads of ammunition. They've got boatloads of bullets and powders, as well as every other thing that you could possibly imagine for long-range shooting. I think that they are the ultimate one-stop shop for anybody that listens to this podcast. So hit them up, tell them that the Straight Dope sent you, and you won't be disappointed. They're my local gun shop. They support matches. They support shooters. They're good people, and they can ship all over the country. So whatever it is that you need, they can provide it. Check them out. Get back to the range. Okay, there's a huge lump of shooters that come to matches that are kind of called like the mid-pack, right? The big lump of shooters that come but don't quite do as well as they wanted and maybe don't even get exactly what they're there to do is screw up and then you hear a lot of explanations as to why, you know, they coulda, shoulda, woulda. And I think that a lot of it gets blamed on mental mistakes. And I don't think that, calling it mental mistakes is fair. I don't think that being mid-pack is mental. I think being mid-pack is preparation. I think the mental mistakes separate the top shooters, and they're a little bit harder to train out. But I think the mid-pack low is simply a mental – if you're going to call it mental, it's preparation prior to the match that's pretty easy to account for. And I think you could fix it relatively cheaply and relatively quickly. So Josh, I want you because you're experienced and you're surrounded by a lot of shooters. You've done a lot of different kind of matches. I want you to think about what a lot of people call mental, but I'm calling simple preparation that could help get people out of the mid pack without necessarily even needing to shoot more, but rather prepare better prior to the match because the match is expensive and going there and being deer in the headlights and wasting 1500 bucks and feeling like you didn't get a chance to show how you could shoot. Like it's a waste of time and money. And a lot of it is easy to fix. So let's kind of hit some of those things. Like, do you remember a time where you realized that right off the bat and what you did to fix it? Yeah, there was, um, Man, there was a match probably in, in 2016. I think it was LRSE in, in Kentucky. And um, I, was, I was super stoked about this match. You know, I had done all of my preparation. I had my, my book figured out. Dan, right? I had been practicing, getting my reps in. And uh, last minute before the match, you know, I, I second-guessed my eye relief on my scope. So... I reset my eye relief to my scope. It was late at night. Um, you know, I got it where I wanted to and I was 
fairly confident that I torqued everything in place. And so long story short, super late at night, night before I have to leave for the match. Um, I wake up early the next morning because I've got this long drive. I got to pack up all my gear. So I pack up all my stuff. I go out there. I end up hanging out. I don't have time to check zero. Um, so I just say, screw it. I'm going to shoot the match. And, you know, the first couple stages were really close. And so we're talking like some prairie dogs and some coyotes, you know, two to 400 yards max and uh, just slaying, right? This is like way early on in, in the shooting career. And then as the day progresses, we get out to some longer stages. Well, now my rifle has been banging around on stuff. I've been carrying it, setting it down. And dude, all of a sudden now my dope's not lining up. It's just absolutely bonkers. And I'm trying to figure it out. I'm wondering, is my barrel slowing down? Is my barrel speeding up? Like, what's the deal? Is Did my Kestrel just go bananas? I'm checking my hard dope. Stuff is just all over the place. Right. So I'm not going to go into the whole match, but long story short, um, I ended up basically stopping shooting after the first day because it was so awful. Um, I don't think I got any hits after the three, after the third stage, maybe a couple hits during the rest of the day, which was even very uncharacteristic, you know, back in the early days of me. And um, so I get home and I'm stripping my rifle down and sure enough, I look at my scope and I see wear marks where my scope, every time I shot, my scope was moving. And so one thing that I did after that was I created this checklist for myself um, to make sure one, just very simple things like at home, making sure that um, my action screws were torqued, my uh, base on my scope was torqued. My rings were torqued. I had this checklist that I would go through, including muzzle brake, everything, making sure that everything was just torqued and tight and that my rifle was set up to me and that I wasn't making any changes right before the match. Because the last thing you want is to get out there and have this gear that you have to trust in for a weekend after you've traveled and done all this stuff. And then all of a sudden not trusting your gear, because if you can't trust the fundamental piece of equipment that you're using, dude, buddy, you're going to have a hard time. So just a simple checklist of like checking your gear, you know, have, having, having a, a routine in which you do that makes sure that not only is your gear in check, but mentally, like I know that my, that my equipment is solid. Yeah. That's good advice. Cause most people are probably listening going, yeah, 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 whatever. That's never happened to me. But the one time that it does happen, and you start panicking and looking for reasons to explain what it is. Like by that point, it's too late. If you start a routine early and you stick to that routine early, you're going to avoid that time when it happens. And even if it's one stage nowadays, that one stage is, you know, 15 to 20 places at a match. And why would you why give would that up when you're spending 1500 bucks to go to a match when you could just have that gear routine of check-in? So I love that. So have a routine for a match that allows you to make sure I'm going to add to that because I've seen for various reasons, people use data in a Kestrel that's not accurate anymore. Whether they got their speed from the box of their ammo or they, they just use their old speed or their load. I think that chronographing your ammunition 
before you go to a match is a really good idea and going, making sure that everything lines up like it's worth a trip to the range to verify speed, verify dope at distance and, and not like tweak your shit, but just to make sure that it just lines up the way you expect it to, because a lot of people come and they're like, Oh yeah, you know, this data has worked for me for the last two years. And I think like, well, when was the last time you chronographed it? No, man, it's always, you know, 2,800 feet per second, man. I don't, I don't trust it that much that I don't always, like if I'm going to go to a match, I will always chronograph it. Shit. Going to the NRL finale, I had a lot of shit go wrong with my gear. I had to spin new barrels on while I was driving. You know, one was an AI barrel. One was a 737 barrel. And, you know, I got a ton of factory ammo and, I literally would pull over on the side of the highway and chronograph and shoot a couple of rounds, get it zeroed. You know, after an hour driving, I would pull over again and I would chronograph and shoot a couple of things, trying to get data as I was driving, you know, hoping I could get a hundred rounds, 150 rounds through the barrel on yep. the way to the fucking match. As I was driving from Colorado to Idaho, I was literally pulling over on the side of 80 and shooting to confirm zero, to confirm data, to confirm dope which is fucking hilarious because when I got there the first stage, the trigger broke, but I had a second rifle. So, <laughs> uh, like, but, but literally like, had I not been able to get speed and verify ballistics on the way to the match, like, I don't think I'd have gone just cause it's too expensive to not have accurate data and making sure that your shit's tightened in there. Like I've literally seen people have their scope fall off their rifle at a match before, you know? And like, Yep. Why would you not check torques when you just spent fifteen hundred bucks to go to a match? Like you just, now that now that's just completely gone because of lack of a routine. And the more I hear, like you talking about, like we were talking about before we started recording, and it's like, man, the more and more shooters I know, the the more kind of crazy their routines get. Either that, or they just have no routine at all and they don't do anything. But but like more often than not, people that care about their results have. have some pretty incredible checklists that they go through. So I love that. I love that. And, um, and I, the only addition I have is make sure your data is good. And like, it's worth an extra day at the range to validate that stuff. Cause you want to know now what the speed is exactly because targets are getting too small for that speed to get too, too far off and expect to hit it, you know, with elevation, you know, it's not, you know, get the, um, like prairie dogs, you know, having a lot of, you've got a lot of wiggle room with elevation, but nowadays targets are getting smaller and smaller in elevation and width. you know, like it's not the old days with if six out there where you got a mill of elevation and height. So your dope doesn't have to be all that good. It's just your wind call. Um, nowadays it's gotta be good elevation, good wind. And if you're off by 10 yards or something like that, sometimes, you know, potentially that's a missed point from elevation Easily because you had your speed wrong or you had your torque wrong or you had some, something wrong, wrong like that, which is, which is pretty cool. Like, uh, what else, what else, what else is the thing that's going to get a mid pack shooter and cost them points that could be called mental mistakes, but really it's preparation mistake. Ooh, man. I, I'm going to say, uh, being able to let, bad stages go you know when you're when you're a mid-pack shooter 
you know, those mid pack shooters technically consist of guys that will do, you know, high on one stage and then they may shoot a one on another, or they'll just have, you know, they'll have that, that roller coaster bell curve to their actual scores, or they'll just, you know, be consistently low. Um, but when you have a bad stage, you know, if, if anybody out there listening has, has played sports or, you know, has, has done anything competitive, you know, that if you, if you make a mistake right before you have to immediately let go of that mistake or your headspace is going to, you know, compound negatively after you make that mistake. So like I, this is something that we preach in the guardian training classes to a lot of these guys, which really has nothing to do with shooting. It just has to do with the way that you think about the match in itself is number one, you're, you're there to have fun. You're there to get better. You're there to be competitive. And if you have a bad stage, dude, you can't hold on to that stuff, man. You have to let that shit go. Um, you know, once that round leaves the barrel, it's over, you can't take it back. So the, a little thing that I like to do, even when I have bad stages, um, I will get off the stage and I'll go think about it for a second and just say, okay, what happened? And then I'll make some notes in my matchbook and I'm a, I'm a nerd. So if I have like a good stage that I feel good about, regardless if it's, if it's a good score or not, but I feel good about the stage, dude, I will literally draw a little happy face, like right next to my score on my matchbook. Um, and then I'll write down what was good, but I'll just make a, I'll just make a note of the stage that way for me, it's like some sort of closure. It's like, okay, I totally just bombed that stage, but now I figured out what I did. No big deal. We're going to let it go and we're going to move on. Because if, if you think that you're going to be able to make those mistakes and carry that mindset on to every other stage, like, I mean, sure, there's some out there that that's like motivating and it helps, but the majority it's not good. So I would say just, dude, let it go. Like you're there for fun and keep that in mind. You have a bad stage. Don't go pitching your mag. Don't go throwing a little fit like a child. Like we're all grown men out here having a good time. So let it go and move on. Um, because your chances of being able to recover and correct that mistake, if you're not in a negative space in your head is much, much higher. That's good. That's, that's one thing that I personally still struggle with is getting out of that mental space with shooting. And it's like, man, it, you know, in sports and stuff, I don't have a problem just resetting. Mm -hmm. But for some reason with shooting, like, you know, you're already in your head. Like, I think that is, that is a tough one. Okay. So I'm going to just, I'm, I'm going to try to like get us to bounce around a little bit with topics. Um, I think that a lot of people that know how to shoot good, like they go to the range, they, they can hit targets, they go to their local place, they can hit targets. And then it's like, all right, now let's go to a competition. And they haven't done it enough. I think one thing that I've seen some shooters not account for is understanding their build and break times. And, and I, like, I know this sounds pretty specific, but when you get a matchbook, a lot of times you have a day in advance or sometimes two days in advance of a stage to look at that. And, and if you study the matchbook, a lot of times it's revealing how fast you need to move. And if you know your standard, like, okay, I don't need to try to haul ass. Like this is the way I shoot. If you're holding your shit, how long does it take you to, you know, lay down prone and take one well-placed shot, you know, at a target at a hundred yards or any target for that matter. And then when you're laying down prone, how long does it take you to get up to standing and put your rifle on a barricade and take another shot? Because if you know what 
you know, what I'm calling the, as build and break times. Let's say it takes you 15 seconds to do that. You can break down a stage and say, okay, I can comfortably move through this stage and get all my shots off without having to hustle or feel rushed. And it's easy to say, okay, well, this is a 12 round stage in 90 seconds. Oh my God. Like you got to haul ass and you got to be a really good shooter to move that fast and hit all the shots. And so I think that a lot of people would benefit from understanding I can take 10 out of those 12 shots and expect to hit my target and getting a 10 out of 12 on that stage is a hell of a lot better than hauling ass and getting a four or a three because you were rushing so much. You weren't thinking about the shooting, you know, your build and break times. And then you apply that to a matchbook. You can say, you know, at the level that I shoot now, I can get this number of shots off. And I think it would benefit so many people to say, look, I'm going to try to get eight of the 10 shots off rather than I'm going to try to get 10 out of the 10 and just have a pre plan in there. Because if you try to outrun your fundamentals and your capability of where you are today, it's not going to go well. Whereas, you know, after the match, you can say, wow, you know, I need to get down to 13 second building breaks from 15 and have the same shooting ability. Like what, what do you think about, what do you think about stuff like that? Um, I, I think that that's, absolutely huge um I'll, I'll hit on one thing that we say all the time in the trainings that we do and then I'll, i want to talk about rifle craft and where that comes into this is we always say you know i would i would rather a, a slow seven than a fast three um on a on a 10 round stage um but when you're talking about build and breaks you know i know a lot of people that don't don't really understand what build and breaks are. So after I go through this, I want you to kind of break that down as to how with rifle craft you've figured that out. Because there's one thing that's that's really tough to figure out when you're a shooter and when you're in this game, unless you're like a super analytical person, but you can also detach from the goal to actually look at how long things take you. Uh, but you have a system that's really easy for figuring that out. But if I know that from my start position to my first actual position that I'm going to be shooting from, if I know that that's roughly going to take me 13 seconds and that I have two shots in between, if I know the time that that takes me, I can then take the stage time. I can do a little bit of quick math and I can know, okay, I can comfortably take seven shots out of 10 at the same proficiency that I do at home at the range when and I'm comfortable and nobody's there, um, I can comfortably do that. And then committing to that and not chasing the shiny object of trying to go fast because the three guys before you just went fast, but literally sticking within your limitations. Um, because just like racing, I don't know if anybody out there has raced, but I, I grew up my whole life racing, whether it was cars, motorcycles, bicycles. Um, but we always say, you know, learn the technique dial in, figure out where you're at. The speed will come, learn the lines of the road, learn the motorcycle, the speed will come, you know, the more you do it and the more you do the correct movement and the correct line, the faster you're going to become at that. Um, so one of the things that like, I wasn't really familiar with prior to rifle craft because, you know, prior to you doing this, a lot of us just kind of found our own ways. And it, it took me a lot of, a lot of time to figure that stuff out. Um, but the craft drills, figuring out your build and breaks, and then at least having a foundation to understand 
how fast you are as a shooter and your proficiency is like absolutely huge. Like when I started doing the build and break times and the craft bills, it was just paramount. It was so much further than what I've done on my own over the past 10 years of, of competing. Um, and so can you kind of explain to everybody what you've done and, and how that's been able to have an impact on being able to understand your number and being able to understand where at, where you are at as a shooter? Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a little bit what we do this stuff all the time, but like the traditional craft drill is testing your fundamental capabilities across positions because shooters have an impact on point of impact uh, more than, more than they think, you know, it's like the shooter is the biggest source of error. And, and so, you know, we're, we're doing standing, kneeling, seated, prone. And I think that, um, you know, what would be really good for everyone to try, right. And really informative for you is first of all, you have to have a standing position set up, a kneeling position set up, either a low kneeling or a seated position set up in a prone, because you're going to have to alternate between those. But a really good way to get a baseline general contact for your build and breaks would be to do the craft drill, right? In what, you know, you're going to, whether you do prone, seated, kneeling, standing, or standing, kneeling, seated, prone, like the direction that you did it, like it might have an influence, but it probably doesn't matter to this. What, what you would do, let's say you start standing, you're going to start a stopwatch. It doesn't need to be a shot timer, right? Because we're not talking about sub second times here we're talking about like literally like seconds you know but you know load 12 will load 12 rounds and put all your stuff in you know have your stuff bag in hand rifle in hand magazine in hit start and then build your standing position take a shot transfer that to the kneeling take a shot transfer that to the seated or low kneeling, take a shot and then transfer it to prone, take a shot. Now get up, go back to standing and do that until you get the 12 shots off. off. And then hit stop on the stopwatch right now. This says the build and break times are just simply going to be, you divide that number of seconds by 12 and that'll give you a generic build and break time for something like a PRS or position building thing, because, you know, prone obviously is going to be a little bit faster for some people and slower, but you just did 12 transitions. And so dividing that by 12, is going to give you the seconds on average. It takes you to build a position in a stage and transition. Obviously the first one's going to be a little bit slower, but it doesn't matter because getting up from prone and going back to standing is a little bit slower and it gives you kind of that generic context. So let, let's say, let's just say it takes you 20 seconds on average to build and break a position. Now you go look at the craft target and you say like, is that an acceptable group size? And if it is, that's awesome. If it's small, you might want to try speeding it up. And I think that if, as long as you're shooting like a, you know, an inch and a half or under two inches, like you could probably keep speeding it up, but once that group size increases, you're outrunning your fundamentals in terms of time. And now the t the time is kind of arbitrary. It just means that your nervous system is getting stressed in a way that you can't account for it. So you want to find that time where your group stays decent. And I would, I would play with this. We, at first we called it the stress test. Like what's the time that like, if you take all the time in the world to shoot a craft drill, what is the time hack that you need that doubles your group size? You know, so you're going so fast that your group doubles. 
And I call that the stress test number. You're like, you literally can't go faster than that and expect to perform decent at all. And some people are shooting four inches anyway. So then an eight inch group, like, you know, that's not, that's not responsible speed. So you need to toggle in there. But I do think that, you know, let's say you're shooting under two inches. Can you speed up the time and still shoot under two inches? That's okay. But if you, let's say, you know, now you know, like, okay, well, I'm shooting an inch and a half and my build and break times are 20 seconds. Well, let's, let's try to go a little bit faster and see if that opens up the group. And maybe it will, maybe it won't. You can set that tempo and you could kind of learn about your time. But let's say it starts to open up, you know, and you're like, well, you know, 16 to 20 seconds is that sweet spot. Well, you kind of know that sweet spot. Now, when you get to a stage, you can say, okay, there's four positions, you know, or three positions. And you divide those times into the stage and say, look, you know, for me, where I'm at now as a shooter, I can expect to hit those targets as long as I'm moving at a comfortable pace. And comfortable pace for me means I'm going to get nine of the 10 shots off. Well, that's good. Your goal yep. now should be nine out of 10 points because chances are a lot of people are going to get worse than that and, and actually take all 10 shots. So if you can hit them, but at the speed that you move, taking nine out of those 10 shots, well, shit, 90% can still win a match. You're better off staying in that zone for the match. And then at training, obviously, you're going to be mindful of, you know, I need to get a little bit faster doing these transitions. And so using the craft drill and the craft target is really, really informative with a stopwatch, not because you're trying to haul ass or you're, you're trying to meet the build and break times of famous shooters. But I think as a self-reflective tool that is incredibly informative because so many good shooters that are mid-pack would be upper mid-pack if they slowed down to that speed and set their expectations to, okay, this is on this stage, I'm going to get a 90% or on this stage, I'm going to get 80% because so many times those shooters get 30% because they're trying to haul ass and do too much that exceeds their ability where it's at now and then you're kind of a deer in the headlights like oh man you know that that stage was a train wreck it's like man you're a good shooter you have good fundamentals you knew the wind call great you just went too fast like what you know why would you not take 80 percent when you know you could do 80 percent if you just went into it with a solid game plan and that solid game plan literally wins matches for people and, uh, you know, I think that a good mass director can make stages to deliberately force people to try to outrun their capability. And a good shooter understands where their capability is before they go to the match. And then they set their expectations from data, right? Rather than, oh, well, they want me to try to do this and I'm going to, you know, hold my beer, you know, man, that, that's, man, I would, you know, send me the 1500 bucks for the match. And don't waste your time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I think that that's really, that's really helpful. And that's one of the things that we do in the coaching and the four plus one is really not just that, but break it down even more so that shooters really have a self-awareness and a self-understanding of what are they doing to cause all those little minutia that may, it might only cost one point a match, but if there's a dozen things that are costing one point a match, like if, the, if a shooter could get 12 more points at a match, a lot of these guys are now realizing they could start winning matches. And so the coaching and the mentoring, the one-on-one, -on -one, the four plus one, and 
those programs are really getting into that minutia of saying, look, it's almost all about that self-awareness. So let's start to understand that rather than just simply being a marionette to a match director, which, which, um, you know, it solidifies the mid pack, but, but most good shooters that are in the mid pack, they don't have to be there. They just kind of don't quite understand what they need to work on. And, and doing a drill like that would help them and help you on your own. Like, yeah, man, if people did that, they would just get better period. Like if you just did what we explained, like, and you based on your times, like you'll literally be better at your next match. Like, yeah, that's dude. That's so true. You know, what, one of the things that is the easiest gain in the sport is like from mid pack to, you know, upper mid pack. Um, you know, that's a, that's a really quick game. If you do stuff like what you're talking about with the build and break and making your checklist, making sure your gears, right. You know, you're, there's so many other things that we could go in, but getting from the mid pack to that upper tier is, is probably going to be the easiest gain, at least in my opinion. Um, and then once you're in that top pack, getting from top pack to number one, that's, that's a whole nother ball game. Um, that's where yeah, you get into, guys. you know, coaching you, you, there's, there's a, that's a, that's a whole nother deal. And that's where we start to take the stuff that we talk about and we break it down into extreme minutia. Um, but Absolutely. you know, the, because there's a lot of shooters that going from mid pack. Oh yeah. Yeah. 100%. But these are, these are, re- there's really simple things to have vast improvement really fast. And then what you get at the end of the day is, yeah, not only are you getting better, but dude, you're hitting way more targets and you're having so much more fun. Like we go out there to hear that ring, you know, like jackpot, you know, you put the coin and you pull the lever and ching, 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 ching. Dude, that's what we want to <laughs> yeah. hear. Because every time we pull the trigger, dude, we want to hear some coins dropping out of that machine into our ego bucket, you know, like, Heck yeah. dude, it's fun. So, um, that's right, right, right. Is so many simple things to do, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, if I had to like, just speak out of my ass and like, just say like off the top of my head, I just kind of drew a bell curve, you know, while you were while talking, you- I think like, if you are under, like, if you take a match, like a big match and you're under 50%, like you probably have gear issues. You probably have a lot of other stuff, but if, to go from 50% to 80% at a match, that's probably just preparation, right? And that can happen pretty quick to go above yep. 80%. Now you're talking about a group of guys that have a lot of disposable income. They care about their performance and they're putting a lot of time and energy and money into training. And now you're fighting against people that really want to be there and put in that fight. That that's a completely different story, but that 50 to 80% in a match, like it's preparation. I mean, I think it's just simply straight up preparation above that 80%. You're right. Like, it it's we gotta do, we gotta be talking one on one and doing very specific trained work because now there's just too many shooters and there's too much money and time involved with those shooters to have like a quick fix like it has to be looked at one on one very very analytically but fifty to eighty man it's just it's just this kind of prep stuff right so so what's some other prep stuff that that you think would help a shooter basically overnight. Ooh. Man, one one thing is just when, like you said, when you get your matchbook, you know you're you haven't even made it to the match. 
when everybody goes out drinking and stuff, dude, go back to the hotel room. You know, are you there to, are you there to get drunk? Like, are you there to drink and hang out? Or are you there to shoot? Like, I, I get it. Like some people, you know, and I'm not, I'm not dogging on that by any means. Like if that's your thing, like go for it, have fun. But you know, I'm speaking to people that are actually <clears throat> out there wanting to improve and get better. Um, but get your matchbook and read the matchbook. If you're able to go and walk around the range, like you don't even have to shoot, but dude, grab your, grab your binos and your tripod. As long as it's not a blind stage, like NRL hunter, you obviously can't do that. But if you're shooting a PRS mat, um, dude, go check out the range, man. Just spend some time looking at the targets, watching wind. Um, this is, this stuff doesn't cost you any money. Take your, take your shooter book and go back that night and study the stages, you know, become really familiar with the stages. Another thing like preparation wise is go ahead and, and take some tape or take your dope cards or whatever. Like I don't like the whiteboard um, little dry erase things uh, because that requires me to, to write everything down before each stage. And, you know, I'll be honest, like a lot of times I like to dick off and talk to people. Um, and so I don't have time to do that. So what I do is I have either my, my cards, my little dope cards, and I already have the, the stages written on, on my tape or on my dope card. And I have everything prepared to when I get out there, all I need to do is populate my dope. Um, I don't populate the night before I do it on the stages. Um, so just being familiar with the match, being familiar with the stages, being familiar with the range. Um, another thing I can encourage everybody to do is wherever you're shooting, um, I'm going to give something away, but um, dude, get on the computer and pull up some topographical maps and some areas of where you're shooting and really take a look and become familiar with the area. Um, this especially comes into play when you're talking about wind, you know, when you're sitting or where you when you're standing on the firing line and you're looking down the range, um, you're, you're only seeing one view of that. You don't know if there's cuts back beyond, you don't know if there's, you know, crazy elevation changes because you only have one purview. So if you become familiar with the terrain from an aerial view, now you've got a little more knowledge in your brain about how that range works. Um, another thing that I really recommend people do is watch the wind a couple weeks before leading up to that match. See, see where the wind's coming from, you know, pay attention to that stuff. And it's not that the wind is going to be the same. It's that it's priming your mind to automatically think about those things when you're there. This doesn't cost you any money. This is something you can do while you're sitting at work, you know, instead of scrolling on some stupid app, you can literally be looking at wind and writing stuff down. So I like these things to prime my mind for what it is that I'm there to do. I'm there to shoot. I'm there to understand the course of fire. I'm there to pay attention to the wind. I'm there to pay attention to the layout of the land, to become familiar with the terrain. All of those things don't cost you a dime, but what it does do is it gives you even more knowledge and it preps your brain for what you need to do at the match. Heck yeah. I do a lot of like specific thought drills to ingrain a lot of that stuff. But I do think that you're right. Like with, when it comes to wind, like, first of all, most of like the PRS style stuff, it's not really wind in the first place. It's just follow-ups and corrections. So like, if you're good at shooting and making transitions, you're going to be good at a match. 
even if you don't even know shit about wind, because you're just going to make a correction and follow that little graph that you make out. But, but if you do want to think about wind, which I think is a good idea. And I think it's good to like be good at all the skills because eventually like matches will change and, you know, it'll be, be an issue. But I do think, so I do think that thinking about that stuff's really important. And like you said, you can get on windy, you can get on, get on weather apps, you can look at, you know, overall like data and you can say, look, you know, to the best of the ability of all of these digital systems that we have, which are incredibly accurate, let's say they're expecting winds to be eight to 12 miles an hour. So you can pre-plan an eight to 12 mile an hour wind kind of spectrum. And what I think that does for people is do a couple things. First of all, if you're like, dude, I had to hold for 20 miles an hour. Yeah, you probably didn't, right? Because the max is 12. And, you know, if you're, if it's fluctuating between eight and 12, the odds of you having to hold for 20, that's probably not the explanation necessary. But you also, like, when it comes to the angles, like, if, if the max is 12 and it's going to fluctuate between eight and 12 all day, less than eight, you know, I mean, you obviously, like, when the angle changes, you know, it could be anywhere from zero to 12 miles an hour, but you have a high and a low context. And so you can kind of like create a battle plan in advance of what your expected wind hold could be from any direction, any angle and kind of wrap your head around that. Like, so, so you can kind of go in knowing, man, you know, highs and lows, lefts and rights. And after the first stage, you basically have an answer for the rest of the stages, right? If the wind's going to stay 12 all day, you know, the angle that it's coming from now you validate it with a stage of shooting. You should be able to adjust that for the rest of the day pretty well, such that, you know, your first shot anyways is, you know, better educated and the rest of them are just follow-ups. But I think that like that kind of preparation goes a long way and understanding how your rifle and the ballistics of your bullet in advance are really important. I think that like, you know, a lot of the wind stuff comes down also, it's not necessarily wind, but it's understanding the ballistics and the characteristics of your bullet, how it's going to respond in that context. And if something's outside of those parameters, like that should be a red flag. It should be, you should have a game plan and you should have a fallback, like, you know, something's not right and it's probably not wind, you know, because, uh, you know, I had to hold for 20 miles an hour or, you know, I don't know. Like to me, that, that stuff is preparation. If you see something that's wildly unusual, it's probably not what you think it is. Right. Maybe, maybe it is, but, but you, you know, most, most of your plan, it could be, could be taken care of on the internet the night before you go in and you're like, all right, pretty cool. Like, if, if shit at the guardian match here in Colorado, the targets were pretty small and pretty far away. And I, that's what I just looked at weather underground the night before and it did the kind of same thing. Like, all right, cool. Like I have the idea here and the terrain there is really complex. And, and, uh, but, but, but really like, you know, if I missed my first shot, the rest of them, now I knew what the wind speed was and you just carry that. But if you, you have to pre run through, how you're going to make those corrections and you can just do that on paper and pencil. You know, it's kind of dorky, like you said, but shit, you know, you just wasted a lot of money. If you think that somehow, you know, Jesus is going to just take your bullets and steer them into the target versus like you being a dork for a couple hours, you know, two nights a week and just writing that stuff down on paper 
and miraculously your bullets start hitting the target. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like those little things, they add up, you know, and, and I think doing the drills, doing the, you know, and the four plus one and the virtual training stuff, like, you know, I have all those drills laid out and exercises for people to do that, you know, their mental and their cognitive kind of troubleshooting so that you can make those decisions on the clock in advance. And you kind of go in with a battle plan because you know, a lot of the things that you need to do to be ready to do that stuff, but people can do that on their own, right? You're listening to this. Maybe you got some ideas, put them into effect because we are, this is an expensive hobby and it's really embarrassing when an expensive hobby, you know, you end up having to make excuses for why things didn't go well versus, you know, say, wow, I did this and had the best performance ever. It was worth it. Right. You know, if you spend 12 hours over the course of a month and you walk away with a $3,000 scope off the price table, like those 12 hours were pretty well spent. I'd say. Yeah, you know, I want to I want to hit on that um, and just piggyback back off of what you're saying. You know, there's so many books available that you know most of us have shooters. You know, we'll buy a book and we'll read a book, and then you know, how many people out there will literally spend hours and hours and hours on forums and on YouTube just watching shit about this and when you could literally find some focused training and dude, screw the YouTubes, screw the forums, just hone into a very specific training program. I like to talk about this, you know, both in business because I'm in business and in shooting and racing, et cetera, is the fastest way to get to where you want to go is to find the person that's doing or that's gone beyond where you want to go and get in with them and learn from them. Because guess what? They've already spent the time. They've already spent the money. They've already had all of these compounding failures, you know, failure after failure, be able to understand, okay, Hey, um, new person in dude, you let me show you the path. Here is the path. This is all you have to do is follow this path. And you can get to where you want to go so much faster. That's like something that I talk, you know, I've talked with guys that I've coached in the past and I'm sure you have these conversations too, is, you know, you can come and you can spend, you know, with a really good coach or with someone that knows what they're doing that actually can articulate and get you results and get you to where you want to go. You can do that in two days versus it may take you two years to figure that that stuff out on your own. How many barrels are you going to burn in two years? How many gear? How much gear are you going to buy? How much money are you going to spend going to matches, going to range days? When literally, dude, everybody's looking for the easy button. You know, everybody's looking for the fastest way to get to where they want to go. The fastest way to get to where you want to go is to find the person that's doing it and to get in with them. And dude, it's so much of an easier process. And once people understand that regardless of what it is, whether it's business, whether it's racing, shooting, it doesn't matter. Dude, go and get in with that person, hone in. Like I've, I've seen it. You've seen it. I always see your posts on Riflecraft and on your personal IG 
about somebody's growth. And I see it both in business and in coaching multiple people that, that I work with as well is just so much faster. So, I mean, sure. If you want to be a knucklehead and just, you know, drag through it, go for it. But dude, there's so much easier ways to get to where you're wanting to go. It's, it's yeah. so simple. Um, right. So, right. yeah. Yeah. It's funny when, uh, yeah. And it's preparation. And I, that's where I think that coaching is really important because you say like, look, I can get you there faster. So I've even had guys get mad. Like, wait, wait a minute. Like, you know, you got me from four inches to one and a half inches, like in six weeks, like, I don't know, man. Like, it just doesn't seem like, and it's like, <laughs> it doesn't seem like, like, like believe it. Like that's fucking awesome. And be psyched about it. Don't be mad that, that like it was too easy. Um, but like, I don't know, I guess there's other worse things to be mad at, but they thought it was too easy that I gone from four inches to <laughs> inch and a half. But, but there's other things involved, right? Because shooting an inch and a half doesn't mean you're going to win a match. It means now you have the fundamentals, start nope. learning all the other skills. And people get mad when I say like, look, you're a good shooter, but we need to go back to fundamentals. We need to go back to some basics that we need to spend that time on. But I think it's, yeah, it's important to be able to say like, look, you what you need and what like so you and i were both the same height you and i both climb but i'm 210 pounds you know and you're 165 pounds or something like that like what we're going to need to work on as climbers is going to be fundamentally different because at my mass i need to focus more on finger strength because i got to hold up a bigger i got to hold up a bigger body but i also have more muscle mass in my core so i'm going to be able to do some things you know that so like if for us to progress to the same goal we're going to have to approach it from two different directions and so that's where i think training and one-on-one coaching and or or something that that focuses on your ability to say i really actually need to do this is is important so that's the only caveat to like you know follow somebody's footsteps is saying like man you know if you're squatting a thousand pounds i'm not going to run out there and just fucking you know get some fancy shoes and try to squat a thousand pounds. I need to do the right things for me to get there. And the right person to help somebody is the one that knows, okay, I see the path. And for you, the path means doing these things because here's your shortcomings and here's your strengths. And we got to marry those rather than, oh yeah, you know, I just did a bunch of dry fire and all of a sudden I was doing awesome. It's like, man, that's not a good answer. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, yeah. Man, that's that's so true. This is something that you know I talk about with um, a, a lot of this stuff, mainly in the Guardian stuff, um, the Guardian trainings, and especially the topic comes up a lot about positional shooting. Right, um, a lot of this game is positional shooting, and the thing about that is, you know, you talk about climbing, and we have two. You know, our bodies are are different. You know, you have injuries that I don't have. And so I have injuries that you don't have. And so not every method, um, there's no one set prescription for everyone because everybody's bodies are different. Everyone moves differently. So, you know, because I do yoga and I'm like super flexible, I can get in, I can get all pretzled up in some position and be totally rock solid versus somebody else. That may be the absolute worst thing that they could ever possibly do. And so, you know, that's, that's one thing that we like to hammer on. And I think is really important 
you really have to find out what works for you because just because you saw some guy go up and, you know, absolutely destroy a stage, he cleans it, you know, and, and still has 30 seconds left over. And then you go up and try to do the same thing that he did and you shoot a two, you know, that thing is not going to work for everyone. And so, you know, being able to kind of hone in and individualize and focus on each person um, is, is really huge. So uh, that's, that's all I wanted to say to that. And I mean, we could talk about that for days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, it comes down a lot of it that we're repeating now is just coming down to, you need to prepare a little bit better. You need to think about what you're going to do and you need to account for the things that you're going to be challenged for and put in some time, making sure that you have a plan because going up without a plan is going to backfire and nobody at the top goes in without a plan. And contingency plans, you know, it's like that pace pace plan. You know, you get the primary, alternate, contingency, and emergency plan for everything. Yep. And some people have put in that time, and that separates them from the mid pack. Is just that preparation and understanding how to solve those problems. And if I ask you, okay, this happens, what are you going to do? The shooter that's going to perform better is going to have an answer already. Versus like, yeah, I don't know, I'm going to do what my Kestrel tells me. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people ask me questions now about NRL hunters, you know, I say, all right, well, how's your data? And they're like, no, I just get my data from my binos. What happens when your binos going to sink? Your battery runs out or it gives you the distance for the target on the last stage and you don't catch that for two stages. You're like, wow, that's really funny. All the targets for the last two stages were 710 yards. Like, (laughs) oh yeah. Uh, You know, like, I think that, a lot of those thoughts, you know, there's a lot of products out there that are easy to have people buy. And then they don't understand why their performance didn't go up. And I, you know, scratch my head, like, man, a lot of that stuff you don't need. Like I like hard data cards and, you know, paper and pencil for a lot of that stuff. And, and, and it seems to work pretty good until, um, because it's all about contingency plans. And, um, like you mentioned before, like it's not uncommon at a hunter match to see the person that wins the match get a zero on a stage because shit goes wrong. But then that person is absolutely unmoved by it and crushes the rest of the match. Like, you know, they're able to psychologically go in and say, you're not, not, it doesn't phase them. Like, you know, yeah, shit, well, whatever. And they go back and they crush life. Um, because they've got all of those plans yeah, laid out. Well, well, yeah, that's great. I, mean, I lost you a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, what does Mike Tyson say? Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, okay, well, you have a plan, but what happens when your plan doesn't work? You know, what mm-hmm. what's your, what's your next plan? That's that's stuff that pressure. <clears throat> Of okay, well, when when this goes wrong, because I promise you, at some point, something is going to go wrong, um, mm-hmm. and multiple things may go wrong. So, if you have a plan, and then you have your backup plan, I mean, say say you you don't have enough experience to form, you know, multiple plans. At least at least have a backup. You know, at least think about it enough to where you're going to go in and you say, okay, I'm going to do this, 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 and that. And then, okay, well, if I get to X position and it doesn't work, what am I going to do then? So, I mean, it's, it's, it's so simple, but having a plan, 
and then having a black backup. Okay, well, uh, you know, I had my plan. I got punched in the face. Um, now I have to figure out what next to do. Okay, fall back on B. What am I going to do then? Mm-hmm. Heck yeah. I mean, it's, well, it's yeah. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about a couple of things, right? We're going to talk pretty soon. We're going to have an episode on comeback equipment manufacturers. And we're going to talk about more psychological stuff. We're going to talk about some more fundamentals. I, I really want to talk about Guardian a little bit more. I'd love to talk more about the rifle craft training stuff and some of the things that we're doing with shooters. Um, I have a Kebley's rifle that I had been, but not, I just on Monday I had screws put on my back, so I'm not allowed to shoot for six weeks at least. So I'm kind of just waiting for bones to grow between the screws and stuff. And then I'm going to keep shooting that rifle and, and, and hopefully have some good uh, info for, for that. But everything kind of got put on hold here for a little while while deal with family stuff and deal with this fucking back injury. That I'm dealing, I've been dealing with it for like five years, but deteriorating, deteriorating, and then it ended up being an emergency surgery. So, but I want to, I want to cut this one off so that we can come back um, and just keep, well, we, and we'll just keep pumping these out. Cause I think every week you and I should be talking, especially leading into the guardian season. Cause you and I are going to be um, kind of partners in the training at the guardian matches. And then we can kind of give some insights to what we're going to be doing at the training for the guardian matches, because they're really hey, the whole guardian mm-hmm. thing is awesome because it's just given to kids really not super competitive, but it's all about like a festival atmosphere and embracing and loving shooting. But also like the day before the training is really designed to try to like give people strategies to see better success at the match that weekend. And a lot of those people don't have a lot of competition experience. And so we're going to be sharing tidbits to say like, look, you know, here's where you're at now. Here's what we should expect. And here's how we're going to raise that level a little bit. Like, you know, you're, you might not go from, potentially last place, like potentially first place. But to be able to see that success and understand where you're at and where your expectations should be, I think that's really important because a lot of people don't really know where they should be fitting in or what they should even be thinking about and doing. And I think it'd be really fun to give like that preview of how we're doing things and something about the facility and something about how, you know, the, the organizations that are getting the money from the matches because it's all donated. And, um, you know, I, I just, I really believe in the guardian and, and I'm, I'm really super excited for us to like kind of shape this new style of pre-match training and really tailor it to the shooters and how we can do that with a big group and still give them one-on-one feedback rather than, okay, everybody, you know, shoot on your respiratory pause and say, okay, think about a 90-degree trigger pull. And, and you know, we're, we're trying to do something that's basically like one-on-one training for a group of 20 people. And, and I think that's really exciting because I, I think that, you know, we've been testing a lot of things out and we're showing we can do that with specific tests and specific drills and specific focuses. You know, it's not un- unreasonable to say like, look, you know, we'll be able to tell you what your strengths and weaknesses are, not shooters in general. So that, that, that's pretty fun for me. Like, what, what do you, what do you think about that? A weekly, a weekly Chris and Josh and I'll be off painkiller. So it might make more sense. 
<laughs> no, yeah, that that would be that would be really awesome. You know, there's there's so many things when we talk about um, going from you know lower mid pack mid pack and and making the journey and learning the craft. You know, um, to really be able to progress and there's there's so many tools that are available and you know we've both spent a, a lot of time really not only just shooting and figuring this stuff out but actually finding a way in which we can articulate it and condense it to make it easy to understand to be able to get you know a lot of improvement really quick now you know, like you said, from going to that 80% to the top, that's a, that's a whole different ball game, but I'm super stoked um, about the guardian. And then I'm super stoked for weekly podcast into more of this information um, that can really benefit a lot of people. Um, but the guardian stuff I'm super stoked about. So, you know, I'm not going to spend too long because we need to get off the call, but we started this three years ago, um, Garrison Pratt and myself, with the Kelby's training Academy slash guardian training. And, um, we've, we've spent three years figuring out what is the most effective way to there's really quick improvement. You know, one of the, the missions of the guardian is to, you know, not only bring new shooters in, but to have, you know, seasoned veteran shooters as well, be able to come in and be in a in an environment where they can really hone their skills um, you know, it, while it is not a point series, um, a lot of the matches are two MOA and smaller targets, very similar timeframes to what you'd see at national level PRS matches, but the environment's totally different. And what I'm super stoked about is having you on as a co-trainer, the two of us doing all of the training, you know, taking both what you've done with rifle craft and then everything else that I've done and blending those into um, a really amazing product that we're going to be able to offer shooters. And while it's only, you know, six to eight hours of training, there's only so much information we can give. Um, there's only 20 slots limited just about per training and they always sell out. So um, I'm just really stoked, dude. I'm, I'm really stoked. And I think that morphing what you've done and what we've done with the guardian together is just going to be an absolute powerhouse. And it's going to be a blast to get to see what these guys are able to do after the training and then be able to directly. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, you just you just cut out a little bit. I'm curious with the audio if we're gonna have an issue there. But halfway, well, I don't know halfway. But, but I heard, then I heard noise in the back. I was like, is he still there? So anyway, listeners, uh, we'll see. We'll, I guess we'll post it. We'll find out if uh, if it was just on my end or not. But fuck yeah, dude, it's gonna be sick and, and and fun. And I think that's another factor that we're gonna have to have a couple episodes on, which is just fun, like. Shooting is fun. Oh yeah, and being it with is. shooters is fun, and doing the crazy things that some matches have us do is just pure fun. And so it's easy to focus on like, wow, that kicked my ass. I feel bad, but it's also like, holy shit, that kicked my ass because it was fun as anything I've ever done. And 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 so like, 
you know, seeing that fun and trying to take that fun and carry it forward, it can be hard to do for competitive people. But I think it's what drives innovation and training and surrounding yourself by like-minded people. And so the episode on fun is going to be pretty cool too. So anyway, let, let's sign this off so that um, yep. we kind of keep it focused on this topic. And let's just kind of say like, man, we're going to do at least one a week of these topics and issues. So um, it's going to be sick and we are going to have a blast doing it. Yep. Man, I'm glad, I'm glad you yeah, got this. It. It's much later for you. Uh, than it is for me, but but I'm just sitting here fucking trying to recover from getting my spine screwed. I pulled out the the, the drain tonight, which was crazy. It was like five yeah. inches in, in my spine, and like feeling that thing pull out of your oh. spine and be like, what the fuck? Jesus. Anyway, people probably didn't want to hear that, but it was pretty <laughs> crazy. so gnarly. Thing out of your spine. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I don't know. I'm not leaking, so... <laughs> Not leaking yet, yeah. But uh, anyway, all right. Let's sign this off, and I'm gonna hit stop record here. Stop recording. This is where I jump in to say that if you go to rivalcraft.com and get a subscription, you get added metrics to your profile on the website which can help you get better, more accurate information about your shooting that you could use to propel your training and understanding of your shooting forward. You get emails, subcoms, emails with training targets, ideas, and uh, product discounts as they come about. And you get access to another podcast just like this called The Subcast, where I continue to ask experts and talk about details just like the Riflecraft Straight Dope podcast, but there's more of it. So you get double the content. I try to be much more specific. So um, you're just going to have to subscribe if you want more and don't if you don't. I know there's a lot of podcasts out there and they all cover the same topics. I've got my own style you like my style and you want more of it that's a really good way to do it you don't have to but it sure helps promote and ensure that this podcast continues to operate the way it does so it's kind of a win-win for everybody more content more interviews more specifics more ideas for your training and you're supporting it all as a subscriber with the benefits that come from it. So go check it out at riflecraft.com, get a subscription and join the growing tribe of people who are trying to empower themselves by learning and experimenting and driving their skill and knowledge to the next level. Thank you.